This podcast is proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli. Hello and welcome to episode 40 of Tampa Tantrum. My name is Stephen Layton and as always I'm joined by my dear friend Mr. Colin Harmon. Actually you're not Colin Harmon are you? Uh, no, I may be lots of things, but I'm not Colin Hartman. No offense, Colin. I am neither gentle nor a giant. <laughs> you, do, you do not share any of the traits of the gentleness or giantness. That is indeed true. Um, but you are part of the Tampa Tantrum team here. Um, for those who don't know, Jenny's normally in the background shouting at us, kind of saying, stop saying that. That's going to offend people. You've gone on too long. Please shut up. You're boring in our ears <laughs> while we're recording Tampa Tantrums. Um, and Jenny's our full-time and and part owner as well of of the Tampa Tantrum. Uh, uh, what do we call it? Is it a thing? It's, it's I, I don't know. Like we, we, it's gone back and forth between. We've been suggested that we're a media company, that we're an events company. I think I think I just prefer to think of us as an educational platform, and, and hopefully, what we do is actually educational and not just too much of his takes on podcasts. I like to think of us more as a gift to the world. <laughs> that's that's fair. So, so anyway, we're recording this in different continents today because, um, Jen, you're, you're, you're over in the UK visiting friends and uh, I'm over in the US uh, running a stupid marathon tomorrow. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I came over to, to see you and you've gone off to my home country. It, it's a bit backwards, to be yes, honest. Like. <laughs> it kind of happens, you know, like anything to get away, Jen, to be honest. 26.2 miles or, or stay and, and have lovely... <laughs> going out with you is like no no i'm gonna i'm gonna jump on an airplane because i like them so much yes. um but I, I don't feel that two continents is enough um i think we should go for a third continent uh, and get a guest i i agree which is which is why i've asked somebody super special to join us today um like i i'm actually genuinely excited to be on this podcast instead of behind this podcast because and the person we have as our guest today is someone that I used to work with and someone with whom I work, miss working very much. Um, and that is Ruki Delu. Hi, Ruki. Hi. So happy to be here with you guys. No, thank you, Ruki. Um, we, we won't mention that we've been here before at any point. We, 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 <laughs> thank you for that. Honestly, both of us promise not to bring up that we may have recorded this a couple of days ago um, and, and that recording just disappeared so we won't mention it at all nobody will draw any attention to it in fact i think we should just like brush over it what do you think jen um yeah i think you should stop right there but but truthfully like we're, we're actually not in the same place at all like i'm like last time i was sitting in a lovely easy chair in in a friend's front room and now i am upstairs in the very back bedroom huddled under a blanket trying to avoid everyone hearing the fireworks because it is halloween <laughs> so it is completely new and different altogether yeah, I mean, I, I, for a good story. <laughs> I, I'm in the same apartment, but like, I'm I'm actually have a glass of wine inside of me this time because I okay. it's well only one glass because I'm running tomorrow, but because it's my birthday, and I'm having a birthday lunch. I, I've had the most wonderful. I, I really like New York. I like I, a little bit of news here, Rookie. I hate coming to the US because the US hates me normally, but like I, I'm actually enjoying New York this time. 
great. That's fun. Yeah, no, it is. It's really good. So you hate the U.S., but you decide to go to the U.S. And you hate flying, but you decide to fly <laughs> to the U.S. to run, right? I'm not keen on the running, if the truth be known, either. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, there's some kind of masochism going on. Is it masochism when you force pain on yourself? I don't know. There's definitely some something going on there. But I don't normally like the U.S., but I've always wanted to do the New York Marathon. Um, and um, New York's been very nice to me. Uh, as I'm wandering awesome. around, I'm, I've, I've had lovely coffee, I've had lovely food, and um, yeah, it's been fun, it's been fun. Well, wishing you a very happy birthday, and I hope that tomorrow the running is fun. I, I'm sure it will be. Uh, no, it won't be, I'm sure it won't be. Um, it'll be yeah. torture. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyway, we should definitely not just talk about my birthday, although we can talk about it. No, no, we won't. Um, I mean, we've been trying to get you on this podcast for absolutely ages, and I, I kind of think... Um, it came up, me and Colin were talking about uh, head judges and, and kind of um, different head judges that we, we had lots of respect for. And your name obviously came out as, 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 as one of the first. And, and then we were kind of like, you've got so many interesting other facets to talk about from your experience. Um, but we haven't been able to tie you down to get you on. And um, now we have. For the very few people in the world who may not know who you are, can you give us like a, a 60 second kind of rundown of, of, of who, who Rookie is and what you do and uh, yeah, those experiences? Sure. Um, so basically where I'm at now in coffee is I have like in general, we're going to say three jobs because obviously I didn't think one or two were enough apparently. <laughs> so. Um, I work with CQI, with Coffee Quality Institute, which is the program with the curators, and I'm Q services manager with them. So it's basically like helping run the Q program and helping like develop content and the program to develop instructors and things like that, both for Q Robusta and Q Arabica. I also work with World Coffee Events, which are all the competitions, obviously, and I'm the national bodies manager with them, so help. The national bodies get their competitions in order answer all sorts of random questions deal with complaints and a whole bunch of fun things <laughs> and the last part is just like for myself which is either training or consulting or helping source green coffee for a few people or things like that so that's in general the three main things that i do okay cool cool so so You've done, like, there's so many things that you do, and I think you're kind of very similar to me, as you're doing lots of traveling here, there, and everywhere. Um, but I think the first elephant in the room is kind of, you You live in Guatemala, and you, you've lived there for quite a while, but you're not from there originally. So uh, tell us a little bit about how you ended up in Guatemala and, and where you're from as well. Of course. Um, I am from Belgium. Uh, both my parents are from Belgium, my whole family is from Belgium, and my parents actually moved to the Comoros, which is a tiny island in the Indian Ocean next to Madagascar. Wow. They lived there for about seven years, and that's actually where I was born. And then when I was about two or three, they decided that at some point, obviously, I would need to go to school, so then... <laughs> we moved back to Belgium for a bit. And then uh, later on, my, my parents actually worked for United Nations. So we ended up moving quite a bit. And then that's how I ended up in Guatemala. That kind of explains a lot of the reason why you've been here, there and everywhere. That's uh, <laughs> it really like, does, yeah. Yeah. Oh, but, but Ricky, so um, 
by the time you, you got a, you got to Guatemala, were you, were you already in, working in coffee? What did you do in your university time in? I mean, some people, I, I mean, most of the time I feel like people do their university work and stuff that's completely unrelated to coffee. But I think you had a background that, that sort of actually rolled really nicely into your work that you've done with coffee. Yeah, um, I moved to Guatemala when I was actually still in school, so not really in, involved in coffee at the moment, obviously. And then I studied, I actually started architecture, did not enjoy it. It became architecture. <laughs> yes. <laughs> later on, I just studied, I studied business and specialized in international business. So definitely kind of related to coffee somehow. Yeah, so now, okay, so that paired with all of your experience, like traveling around the world, like you, you must have this, I mean, well, not you must, we know you do have this completely unique perspective um, that is often really useful to a lot of people. And I know that, like, I know Steve has certainly asked you for a lot of advice. I've asked you loads of questions. Like, is this, are you just the routine person to come to whenever anybody has questions about anything? I sometimes get emails that I really think that people are just like, oh, we don't know this about whatever topic. Let's just ask Rookie. And I've been like, I've been bugged that I'm Rookiepedia. <laughs> I do get like random questions and random requests. I'm always happy to help though. And I try to answer relatively quickly if I can. But yeah, one of the most recent requests or questions I've gotten is if if we, WC, consider cupping an Olympic discipline, which oh. I was like, okay, I don't even know how to answer this because... Uh, yeah. Do you know, there's, so there's Paul Stack, um, who is in a very similar position. Kind of People just kind of turn around to Paul and just say, Paul, what, what about this? You know, and like, it just becomes this font of all knowledge. Um, like you go to a trade show and somebody's setting up a, a stand or whatever, and there's something missing. Paul Stack's the first person you go to because he's normally got the solution. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I kind of I can imagine that does get quite annoying. Luckily, if you're really stupid like me, nobody ever asks you anything. It's really good. Like, I, I heartedly endorse it, Rookie. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll take your advice. <laughs> yeah, j just, just look dumb. Like, you know, just say, I, I don't know. Uh, but I'm, I'm actually perfecting it. I, I'm not just looking dumb. Um, it's a Guatemala. Um really interesting coffee growing country eighth biggest grower in the world i believe um and it has a fairly unique setup with anna cafe um i'm always intrigued by the work that anna cafe do um from kind of like inside and obviously working very closely with a lot of the producers what's your and their kind of perspective of, of anna cafe and, and the work that they do yeah i think anna cafe is uh one of the I guess one of the very good associations that aim to help producers, it is a producer association specifically. So all producers, as long as they're registered, are, are basically members of Ana Cafe, which actually historically and funnily enough is why in the beginning, like a very long time ago, they weren't really interested in like barista competitions and things like that, because that was so much more oriented to consumers than it was to producers. And then like eventually, obviously the link became clear, but yeah. And a cafe offers a lot of, of services. They have like the soy lab analysis. They, they offer cupping services. They have some courses. They help run the auctions and all sorts of things like that that obviously benefit producers and international marketing as well. And, and can, as a producer, can you opt to be a member or not a member or is it compulsory? And how is it funded? I mean, how does that kind of work? As a producer, you 
could not necessarily be a member. However, from the moment you start exporting your coffee, you absolutely have to be a member because the way of funding, and this is how all this relates, is that um, Ana Cafe keeps 1% of the value of the export, and that's part of what funds the whole association. So it definitely is mandatory for all coffee exported from Guatemala to go through there. Okay, okay, cool. So they're responsible for all of the competitions, all of the, like the, the uh, I mean, Ana Cafe are running the barista competition, yeah? Um, not anymore. They were for a while and then there was a change in management. So for a period of time, a separate organization was running the competitions here. And now it's still that separate association, but the competitions will actually be happening at Ana Cafe. So it's kind of merging back together. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good news. I mean, so they, they, they're helping with that then. They, they also uh, run the Cup of Excellence program as well. That's part of what they do. And all of the trade shows like SCAA and SCAE, when you see the big stand, that's all with Ana Cafe and that 1% money. Is that right? Definitely. They have the, the international presence and all that is definitely Anna Cafe and helping with the auctions. Yeah. And, and part of the agreement a long time ago when also the export was decided was this very huge building, which I'm sure you've seen it because you've been here. Yes. Uh, they have this really big building and it was built in such a way that there's a lot of like separate rooms and those rooms can actually be rented out for events, for whatever event. It doesn't have to be a coffee related event. Like a hotel would rent you out like rooms for meetings or whatever. So that's another like maybe much smaller but source of funding for an cafe as well. They have the most amazing boardroom I seem to remember as well. I had a meeting in there once and there was microphones and all sorts. We had great fun messing about in there, um, pretending to have a proper meeting. Um, but they were also... Uh, the Cup of Excellence, I, I remember very vividly that Anna Cafe actually decided to stop doing it and broke away from doing Cup of Excellence and then uh, it came back later and it's actually one of the programs that is staying in the current slim down of the Cup of Excellence program for the for their rebuilding and uh, and what have you. Uh, do you know why that Cup of Excellence stopped and why they started it again? Is there any background to that? I think a lot of, a lot of the producing countries um, had like a at one point, like at least they were questioning each other regarding Cup of Excellence. And the main reason is probably financial or them trying to see how to make like ends meet in that regards. And there were at one time other auction programs, like there was the Q auction that was related to CQI a long time ago. Then there was the Cup of Excellence run by Ace. And then like Anna Cafe even for a year tried to run their own auction. Yeah. So obviously if it's three separate auctions auctioning off, basically the same coffees or coffees from the same country. It just became more complicated with logistics and with everything else. So just for a year it stopped and then they, they came back. And, and I mean, because obviously again, you're working very closely with producers and, and, and it, as a buyer, you know, if I ask the question quite often, I think I'll get it. I feel like I get a different answer than they really want to give. They'll tell me what I want to hear more than the, what they want to say. I mean, but do you think competitions and that whole auction platform stuff still means something to producers and it still has a useful uh, purpose? Um, I think, well, p personally, but this is like just very, my own very personal opinion, I think that it is a great platform to kind of project producers forward. I think a little bit when it becomes like the same farms often winning like over and over and over, it's kind of just like reestablishing obviously credibility for themselves, but in a way it kind of prevents new farmers from being like also marketed in that way or using that same platform. 
But I definitely think that it still helps to put specific farms or specific producers or specific really good coffees on the map, that's for sure. That's why even a lot of farmers have started now running their own auctions with their different coffees and things like that. Of course, I mean, you've got Ellen Hurt Avenue uh, in, in, in Guatemala doing their own competition. And I think it's... Yeah. Okay. Sorry, yeah. No, yeah, El Injerto does their own competition. Santa Felisa, which is a farm in Acatenango, also do their own competition. And, and well, you know, like Mieres in Nicaragua do their own competition. Panama, obviously, they do their own. La Esmeralda and things like that. So, I, I still like to think of that whole auction platform thing as a speed dating uh, place for coffee roasters <laughs> and for producers to kind of get together and like see if there's anything worth following through the year after and that's definitely how we've always used it is like to make new relationships with people to then take it on to the next level and I, I think it still has its place very much for that and you know there's still new roasters all the time coming through that don't necessarily have those relationships so I think it has a place for you know established and new new, new roasters still and that's why I keep harping on about competitions on on this all the time no, definitely. I think it's a way to get to know new things. My my question often is more like from the other side of things. Like once you've paid sometimes a really, really high price for just green coffee, like how do you relate that to your end consumer, obviously? But it seemed to work, so. Sure. So I've talked too much, Jen. You should definitely talk some now. Sorry, yeah. I've, I've completely took over the conversation. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I know that you can, like, like, Cup of Excellence has really been your thing recently, but I actually want to draw it back to a conversation that Lucy and I had several years ago, um, which was about the situation with leaf rust in, in Guatemala. Um, Lucy, has that gotten any better since, since we last spoke? Is there anything that's happened to, to make that better, or is it still just as bad as it was? No, no. I think just like it didn't start from anywhere, like it obviously worsened a lot over a period of time, but it's not like it came out of nowhere. So mm -hmm. it, it, it did improve, definitely. It's much better now than it was a couple of years ago. And, and do you, I mean, I'm sure that there are lots of different reasons for this, but there, are there any things that you can personally pinpoint that you think had a big impact on improving the situation? I just think it was, in a way, also creating much more awareness about this. Like, it's still a country with a lot of very, very small-scale producers, so much of it like many other things still has to do with like education and kind of try to help them understand why some things are important i know that a lot of farms that were organic just stopped being organic mm -hmm. because it was either not be organic or basically be left without coffee so people did understand that some changes were necessary definitely and was it just education in terms of things like you know being able to, to treat it or was there additional education about varietals anything that did anna cafe have anything to do with education there or was it just trying to get people to understand what the problem was and how to fix it. No, no, Anna Cafe definitely had a big role. And even the governments at some point tried to get involved. Like I was, I had like very random calls with people from the government, but also like trying to explain to them in a second something that it's just isn't in their background. They just won't understand it necessarily that easily. Yeah. But Anna Cafe definitely had a huge effort in all of this. And as far as, as varietals as such, like, well, part of it, a lot of work has already been done in other countries, but like Colombia has been famous for that, for developing some disease resistant varieties mm -hmm. and like Castillo and Colombia and things like that. But even those, like those were developed a few years back already. And it's just now that we're understanding a little better, like the crop quality and things like that. So I don't think that any 
necessarily like crop replacement happen like at no. a larger level i just think that people learned about like more prevention and treatment and in that direction that's really good yeah because i remember i remember having that conversation and it was just like rookie i i i'm very ashamed of this like don't really understand what's going on and everyone is talking about this and like what is your personal perspective and, and it's like yeah. oh wow that's that's really terrible um, yeah when we talked that year was particularly awful because it was like visiting some farms and the farmers even saying like they just had all these buyers coming to visit them and their yield had been like 25% of what it should usually be. So like as dramatic as that. So they had all these buyers coming they're like, we just have no coffee to offer them because it, it was just very difficult, difficult situations for them. Also, because you have like the fear that if once you weren't able to supply, they'll just go somewhere else and not really come back to you later on in the game, unless you have longer term relationships. Well, I, th I think that's definitely something that I've seen in lots of other countries as well. You know, that, um, you know, uh, turning up as a buyer, El Salvador two years ago, and we saw exactly the same thing where everything was just, you know, 90, one guy lost 90% of his, of his crop, you know, mm -hmm. to, to have from 700 bags to 70 bags and, and to try and sell yeah. that to a, a number of buyers was, you know, it, it was really difficult and, um, it, it must be horrendous, you know, to have your income slashed by 90%. Um, yeah, I don't know how if people even cope with that. Definitely. And your income for that year, and like I was saying, sort of the longer-term impact, because unless, unless you have created in advance those long-term relationships, you definitely have the fear that this person came to buy from you and you're like, well, I don't have any coffee, I'm sorry, like leaf frost happened or whatever. They're just never going to come ask you again. So... It's kind of jeopardizing your, your future as well as it is your, your present. Well, I think, so this, like, I, I definitely don't want to spend all of our time talking about just Guatemala, because I know you have a, an amazing wealth of information there, but like, that's, you just, you live there and you, you get to dispense advice all the time. But there are two other things that you do that you mentioned earlier that I actually find, like, they're, they're hugely interesting and, and it adds to that wealth of, of knowledge. Um, but there's one of them that I don't really, like I, I know a little bit more about head judging <laughs> after my time with WCE, um, but I don't know quite as much about what you do with the tier. Um, so could you walk us what you do? Yes, um, the, well, the, first the Q is a, it's, it's a whole program obviously that originally was aimed at just having third parties, like independent third parties, certify specific lots of coffee so that you could sort of guarantee the quality to some extent based on defects, based on cop quality, based on several criteria. So obviously in order to have those independent third parties, like a copying certification sort of was necessary. And then that's how the queue started developing a long time ago. So the whole curriculum and the whole program was developed in one way, has evolved, obviously is based mostly on SCAA standards and then that's the program that is that is now delivered and how CQI functions, CQI generally functions with like grants or donations or things like that. So a lot of the training programs are mostly delivered obviously at origin, whether it's in Africa or Brazil or Central America or Indonesia or wherever, like that's, that's the aim to eventually educate the farmers in also having better understanding of their own coffee. So the whole Q program is more, is the, what is most known is the copper certification. So I'm a Q instructor. So I teach for both Q Arabica and Q Robusta. And I also help in the 
like I was saying, the development of instructors, like so train new instructors basically. Trish and myself are basically in charge of that and just help in developing the program and the changes that it needs and adapting to the current trends and things like that. Awesome. What are some of the current trends that you're seeing that you're having to adapt to at the moment? Well, one of the most recent changes that were made was like including a naturals table mm -hmm. because it's one of the controversial things as we were <laughs> discussing, like people tend to immediately claim that they're either lovers or haters of naturals, which it's kind of a very strong statement to make, like without having a little bit of an open mind that I definitely think is needed in the, in the industry. So yeah. that's been one of the most recent changes to add the natural stable to, and the point of obviously each time having a full cupping table of either an origin or a processing or things like that is to be able to showcase to people the, the range of qualities that you can have definitely like some naturals that are funkier or unclean or things like that but then you have you can have naturals that are just pretty darn fantastic so i, I think yeah. those reference points are really 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 important um i kind of go back to um the first time and, and i remember i think i bought it from sweet maria's was buying some uh, monsoon malabar in like 1997, I think it was. And, and like having this coffee that was just so weird and so different, it kind of made me feel like, okay, this coffee is different. And for consumers, a lot of the time, it's it's not, oh, you know, it's this varietal or it's this. They kind of like, it's getting past that coffees can be really different. And I think naturals are a great tool to be able to kind of, you know, if I show my mom a natural and I show her a wash, she's gonna kind of go, I don't really like the natural, but at least I get that it's different. And she doesn't really, well, she doesn't get the whole coffee thing at all. But the wash thing, she'll, you know, she'll say, I prefer that one. But that one, I get that it's different and I might have one every now and again. And I think that's a really good tool. It's just so helpful to bring people in. Definitely. And, and often, um, at least for me, like teaching this in countries where naturals are still not necessarily a thing or where it's a little bit more restricted, like people obviously are much more close to it. And then like cupping a table that showcases like really good ones as well, usually they're like, you kind of can see it in their face, like they got it. And I don't necessarily want everybody to love them, that would be awesome, but obviously I can't <laughs> force that on anybody. But it's more like just the open mind, like, okay, yeah, I get, I get it. There's a whole range of them, just like there is of, of a lot of things. It's that whole thing about like giving a, somebody from Central South America a, a Kenyan coffee or an a washed Kenyan or a washed Ethiopian and just watching their face with that pure amazement that it's like, what have you done to this coffee? You've put something in it. And I'm sure that must happen the other way with, you know, with, with uh, naturals, you know, kind of turning up in Kenya with naturals and, you know, well, I've seen it, you know, I've, I've actually taken some naturals in and they're just kind of like, this is this isn't coffee. I, th th there's problems with this. This needs to be thrown away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly mm -hmm. what you're saying. Yeah, and and beforehand, like we we can't forget like historically what all these things have been. A lot of the countries have just in other countries that are not like Ethiopia and things like that, where Ethiopia, Yemen, or others, that it was still the tradition. In others that were kind of taught that washed and sun-dried was kind of the standard if you all of a sudden had this natural coffee which usually was the worst of the worst quality that was just like the last stuff that was picked and thrown on the ground like without any care whatsoever yeah. obviously it was bad so kind of changing their mindset in that regard is obviously not not necessarily easy but it's 
it's it's a fun thing to do. Do you think there would ever be any room for expansion in the queue to look at something, let's say, like service? Like I, I know that I know now that the queue is is really more sort of like cupping focus and and oriented towards getting farmers to to understand. Um, like the broader scope of coffee better. But um, one of the things that, so I, I've been talking a lot about the different educational programs that we have within the coffee industry. And the one that everyone seems to latch onto, or at least the people who don't work in coffee, is the queue. It's something that they can relate to. Like, oh, that's sensory focused, and that's a specific set of skills. Um, but we often talk a lot about sort of the, the service side of what um, baristas do, and uh, do you think there would ever be any room to, to sort of widen the queue to, to look at that as well, or is it, is it just going to be coffee quality focused, you know, as the name implies? I think the queue is much more targeted specifically to coffee quality, although kind of the questions that we get the most often is how can we kind of expand it? Like we've gotten all the way from people wanting like roasted coffee that's Q certified, which obviously mm -hmm. implies a whole other set of logistics yeah. or like Q mills or things like that. Obviously right now it's very similar to, to the auctions. Like the Q is only meant to certify a very specific lot of coffee because you can't necessarily say that the next one's gonna be the same quality, that never happens. Yeah. So it's much more oriented at, at that. I don't, I don't necessarily see how service could be included but I, I i get your point it's just there's many more factors that influence that than than other things like what we may consider standard for service like as silly a thing as eye contact there's been some barista competitions in other countries <laughs> where you kind of have to force that on people and if you're forcing something that doesn't come natural to them yeah. there you end up with like a very creepy stare down <laughs> you're like okay no that's not what i was aiming for yeah doesn't always translate i don't know whether this will translate on the podcast but hello do you like my espressos <laughs> <laughs> i can imagine that would be uh, yeah quite fun i, I kind of so with the queue i have a uh, not a big problem with it because I, I i don't understand it completely and I, I perhaps i should um but my understanding of it, that it's a kind of tool that's very much used for grading commodity coffee more than specialty coffee. Do you see an opportunity at some point to actually maybe create a module that focuses more on the, on, on the specifics of specialty coffee and, um, you know, kind of assessing what is, I mean, you know, we do it with score sheets all the time of what is exceptional and what what is not. But I've always felt the queue is a little bit more aimed at commodity. Would that be true would you think that's a false statement no i think it's actually much more targeted at specialty actually because it's that's kind of the also one of the principles of the SCA cupping form and why the scoring starts at six and doesn't start at zero is because you don't necessarily want to be scoring kind of lower grade coffees with that detailed form you yeah. definitely want to have more room to use descriptors and what type of acidity and really what was the body and things like that to be able to not just make distinctions in the higher scores, but like I always say in, my, in, in the Q classes that I teach, if you end up with two coffees that score an 87, how can you tell the difference? Because obviously there very likely is a difference. If you're, like you were saying earlier, maybe a Kenyan versus a Guatemalan, they both scored 87, but I'm sure there are significant differences. So if you're using your cupping form correctly as the tool for it, then you can definitely describe more of it and explain what the difference is. 
I so hope that Trish isn't listening to this at all because, like, last time I mentioned this out loud, like, I had an email conversation with her for about five days that were all about thousand words each, um, <laughs> talking about the score sheets, but and how I kind of feel that the score sheets are not necessarily the best tools for us to even be assessing specialty as well because yeah. of those massive variances, um, like. So my big problem with the score sheet is you can either be super calibrated and score between 82 and 88, which I see a billion cuppers doing. Like I, like I go to, you know, I'll go to an event or I'll go to a cup of excellence jury and they're super calibrated because they're really hitting this tiny narrow window. And that's what the score sheets have, have led us down to, I think, because people are one too scared of getting it wrong or too scared to get behind a coffee that they think is great because they'll get shot down by a peer or too uh, nervous to completely ruin a coffee because somebody else might think it's awesome. Do you think there's a, a better tool out there that we can use to assess quality? As I think the score sheet, obviously, it's so important because we've got so used to it, but there, there's got to be something else that can kind of break down those regional differences and, and, and also let people really get behind a coffee. Yeah, um, I... I mean, I, I can understand your point. And obviously even us using the cupping form or using it with students, like they start saying like, why isn't this like this? Why isn't sweetness evaluated like this? Why isn't this like this? But then like you would end up with like so many different versions, versions of it that the point of standardizing something just goes out the window. So the, the reason why we do use the SCAA standard is precisely so that at least we can reach kind of a common language and that if we both say, 88 we kind of know in what language we mean that 88 I just I, I, I would love the, the, the if we had the opportunity to really have something that meant that the 88 could be quantified with something else so like for instance exactly what you were saying if you've got a, a washed Kenyan and a natural Ethiopian and you both score them 88 yes we are talking a common language that we know that this coffee is uh, an exceptional coffee that is, or not exceptional, a very good quality coffee that is uh, of specialty grade, but they're so different. And then we can't use that to actually communicate uh, to I consumers and, and onwards. There's a lot of discussion in the, there's a forum basically on, on Facebook for natural coffees. And there's been a lot of discussion also, because there is a forum that is specifically designed for naturals but it just hasn't been adopted as a standard. So like some people use it and other people don't. So there, there is, I think there's definitely work in that regards and we can never really tell what's gonna happen in the future. Okay. I mean, before moving on from, from, from Q, cause I, I do think it's a really, <laughs> I, I, I wanted, I like, this is a topic that I, I'm kind of learning as well. Like, you know, I kind of, I don't know enough about it. So um, I know it was started by Ted Lingle was one of the originators of, of, of setting it all up. I mean, is it owned Absolutely. by the SCAA or is it a completely separate organization or is it partnered in some way? We're like, where's the ownership of it all lay? It's, no, it's owned by CQA. It, it started a while back by CQI being kind of the social branch of SCAA, but that like now it's its, its own independent entity for a while now. And definitely it started like most of the queue started with Ted Lingle. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, enough Q. I promise, enough Q. Um, I want to talk to you about being a head judge okay. because that's where I see the majority of, of your work. Like, I'm normally there dancing around on stage with a microphone and some stupid suit. Um, uh, <laughs> kind of, what what's it like being a head judge, and what kind of frustrations do you have of the system, and, and what do you think that we do like really well with our with our, with our judging and, our, and particularly the head judge role? Like, what what are the successes as well as the frustrations? Yeah. First of all, we look forward to your suits. That's kind of the fun <laughs> of the WBCs. Yeah, <laughs> the, this year's was drastically toned down. There, there, there was a dress code this year because of my suits. I, I implemented my own dress code. Um, yeah, it was good. <laughs> so, yeah, being a head judge is it's a pretty awesome opportunity. It obviously comes with also judging a whole bunch of nationals, which are from every range of quality, I would say, but... Um, Very I mean, diplomatic. To, well, yeah, you get to taste the best coffees that they think they can showcase to you and to see what people are trying to do and the boundaries that they're trying to push. It's it's a good place to be. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm super envious. I like, I kind of, I do, I look there and see the head judge being able to try all of the espressos and all of the cappuccinos and all of the signature drinks. I'm like, that's yes. a pretty cool job most of the time. Obviously, your, your caffeine tolerance also has to be out there. <laughs> <laughs> but I can imagine that that's not such a good job when you say the quality uh, of some of the national competitions may not be what you're used to at world level. Um, I mean, I... I, I understand both ends of it. Like I've done enough of both ends of it and I've been fortunate enough, I guess, to help in many of the countries that were literally starting. But you see from things where one competitor who said time, like to start his time and at that moment, like press the buttons of the machine and then start started like dripping his espresso. Like it was already pre-loaded and tamped and in the machine. So. <laughs> was that Colin? No, no, I wasn't Colin. Are you sure? <laughs> I am sure. Colin's the only competitor I've had a color conflict with, by the way. But <laughs> You've had a what conflict? I had a color conflict. A color conflict? Was, yeah, because it was Melbourne WEC, and obviously Colin was there, and then like I just wore a green sweater, and <laughs> everybody in the audience rooting for Colin was wearing the exact same shade of green. Oh, no. So they started coming into the judges' room like, Rookie, you have a collar conflict. I'm like, I have a what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I mean, I'm sure there's loads of stories like that, but like, what's the funniest thing that's happened being a head judge that, you, that you're allowed to say? Because I'm sure there's stuff that you're not allowed to say as well, but... Um, what, what's the, the funniest thing that's happened? And I would pick on one of the judges rather than competitors because the, the judges have made, I'm sure, give you plenty of material too. Yeah, we've had all sorts of things, both with judges, competitors, and organization of events. <laughs> in the organization of events standpoint, in 2006, I think, we had the first and one of the only competitions in Ethiopia. So for better or for worse and against language barriers and against like every possible imaginable barrier, we trained a group of, of judges to try to help us with a competition that was gonna happen there. And then the next day we're like running them through. And so you remember this is what's gonna happen. And then the judges are staring back at us like, what do you mean that's what's gonna happen? Today we can't, we can't do that. 
I'm like, what do you mean you can't do that? We've been training you for a few days. And they're like, yeah, but today's fasting day. We can't have any milk. So no, we won't be doing that. And obviously they didn't think to tell this to us in advance. So. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. it's an absolute nightmare. It's, uh, I, I, yeah. Those cultural differences must play a massive part in, in, in all of it. I do. And we tend to want to forget that, I guess, but it's, it's, I think worldwide, like WBC or initiatives like this have definitely like raised the standard of what people at least aim to do. So in that way, like as an indirect educational tool, it's, it's a really good thing. My favorite part of, because um, in addition to being a head judge, you're also a WCE rep. And my favorite part of WCE rep training is where we sit down and ask the question, like, what is permissible in terms of a SIG drink? Like, because there's always so many different, like, cultural differences and, and palate differences. And, and the, like, sometimes, you, like, at what point do you draw the line where a SIG drink is set down in front of you and you're like, no, I, I'm sorry, I just can't. Like, <laughs> that's, that's always my favorite part of training. Has there ever, ever been a SIG drink where you were just like, no even having to specify not even for the sig drink but even having to specify that the milk has to be cow milk like <laughs> let's start at that like yeah some countries want to use camel milk or whatever and it's like yeah okay i don't think we're <laughs> calibrated in camel milk tasting so <coughs> that's so yeah funny. and as far as sig drink like i don't know i've 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 obviously like seen a lot or seen a lot of evolution of them from mm -hmm. their like huge milkshakes obviously to like <laughs> what it's become now that is fairly interesting the only one that i've literally had to decline for drinking but more for like because i'm allergic to seafood and like uh, yeah, yeah. there was seaweed involved in the drink so that <laughs> one was, i was like oh no no i can't have that yeah. <laughs> like i'm sorry but i just can't and i'm not sure how seaweed would pair with coffee actually but well, <laughs> for me to determine. <laughs> well, let me tell you a story, Rookie, about Colin Harmon's 2009 drink in Atlanta that had seaweed in it. That was interesting. I think the word was we that we all used. Um, but yeah, he used uh, he used seaweed in 2009. It was not great. Yeah, there's been seaweed. There's been like lobster, and there's been like Ooh. all sorts of things. I think used in in yeah. coffee. I mean, I, before I move on to the, the kind of the, the final parts, because we've been, I can't believe how long we've been chatting and, and we still haven't covered half of the stuff. But um, one part that I just, this is this is not a question. This is just like a personal thank you, um, is that the work that you do for WCE as uh, the chapter coordinator was like, while I was at the SCAE UK um, uh, NC, you were just like so amazing. That was get so tiresome getting idiots like me all the time kind of emailing and saying what about this can't do this i don't know what's happened here this competitor shouting at me that they didn't get this i mean i am just so personally grateful for all of the work that you did do with that and i didn't realize quite how much you did until i was in that position um of nc so yeah it's not a question it's more of a thank you um you're amazing um oh thank you no but one thing i have got to ask Thanks. do you have an industrial complex what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, so rewind to when I the start the the podcast where I was saying the re, a lot of the reason we wanted to get you on was after we spoke to Nick um, on uh, I, 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 in a similar fashion to this, we got him on because he'd gone on this Twitter rant talking about the head judges 
actually you can't say Twitter rant with Nick because it's just Nick on Twitter. Um, yeah. But um, he went into this whole thing about uh, the industrial hedges industrial complex and how he thinks it's a real thing within uh, the competition environment. And um, we got him on and he explained it. And you may not have heard it, so I am going to hand over to Jen right now because when we spoke about it. I was like, hey, can I put this into words? And you came up with three sentences, Jen, that were really good to explain what the head judge's uh, industrial complex is. Oh, and now I'm going to forget what those three sentences were, and I'm going to sound like an absolute dope. Okay. Um, my understanding of the head judge industrial complex is that um, it, it's a bit twofold. So one being that there's a, there's a judging bias against um, minorities or things that, are, that have not been seen in competition before or seem to be winning, um, most notably in terms of gender. And then the second thing being that there's a bit of a closed system so that um, if you don't ascribe to the same uh, sort of paradigm as the current set of judges, it's very hard to get in and judge. So you have to sort of change your viewpoint if you want to be able to judge and sort of assimilate into um, the current judging standards. And, and that means that it, it's, it's very hard to break into it and very hard to change sort of what judging means and how we judge things, um, I think. Yeah, no, I think the, 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 they were the three sentences that you used and they were far better than the, <laughs> fi the five paragraphs that I waffled on about and didn't make any sense. So, yeah, I mean, like... I mean, do you think that there is, uh, like, first of all, a gender bias in competition? I mean, is there, I guess that's the first part of, of, of what Jen was explaining there. I really don't think there is one. Like, I, I completely see or understand both sides of it. And I can understand how this can be a perception. But honestly, like, like there's nothing that anybody's doing for preventing any type of equality or whatever. It's just... It's how things have worked out. And we have had people like we've had Brazil in the finals, a, a girl a few years back. We had Charlotte from France this time who did really well also at WBC. And like in terms of head judging, you do have like Sonia or Petra or myself. So it's I don't I really don't think there is like a, a bias in that regard. So I can understand how it seems to transmit that message. It's really funny that me and Colin sat down after talking to Nick and we were like, right, who do we think are really good head judges that we could kind of get on to talk about this? And, you know, three of the names that came into our head straight away were actually yourself, Petra and, and Sonia. And so he's kind of like, oh, <laughs> that's kind of disproving that theory, isn't it, really, that it's like, it's a, it's a gender yeah. bias. But I, I kind of do get a little bit of what Nick's saying about that, you know, all of the head judges, not necessarily all, all of the judges, you know, come from a very similar kind of background. Um, you know, as in, I guess, we first of all got to be coffee professionals to want to do that. But I don't know how we break into getting um, different ages. I would love to see, um, like, you know, more older judges and more younger judges. We seem to have judges of kind of like, you know, late 20s okay. to, um, you know, late uh, mid 40s i'd love to see more kind of stretch over that maybe or uh, do you think that's a, a real issue as well or not <laughs> i don't necessarily think it's a real issue i think on one hand like it has to be a little bit similar to what we were talking about the queue earlier like you're aiming for calibration you're at least aiming to have the same standard of what people are looking for and that just comes with the competition we kind of have to judge everybody the same way and this is something that I'm often like 
reminding them at nationals because it tends mm -hmm. to be when you have international judges at newer competitions it it tends to be sometimes like oh for here it's a five and i'm like what do you mean for here it's a five then this person's gonna go to wbc thinking they're excellent and they don't have anything to work on like the standard has to be a little bit of the same throughout so you're looking for for consistency in that regards and as far as as judges i think like the program is getting more and more developed for new people to come in if they really want to i think obviously this is still like everything is still a volunteer thing like we volunteer we don't just volunteer to do it we pay our own way to go to the events and actually yeah. work and do that so a lot of people just do it for a little while and are kind of like okay i've had enough of this i'm just gonna like go back to my life so I don't know that might be preventing some people it's just it's it's about personal commitment or interest i guess well i mean i guess that's a lot of it as well that you need to have a certain amount of flexibility within your job to be able to go yeah. and do it but also mm -hmm. a certain amount of uh, financial backing as well be that from your company or your own personal wealth to go do it as well and if the rewards aren't aren't strong enough uh, for, for all of that effort and energy and time then i, I guess we we can lose some really good judges um I, can't, I kind of want to, I, I don't want to kind of, I don't, well, I don't know how, you can hear in my voice, I'm stuttering. I'm literally stuttering because Jen's going to kill me as soon as I mention this. Oh, um, no. I'm sorry, Jen. I'm sorry. Yes, Whoa. I'm a guy and I'm going to bring it up and I'm really sorry. But like, I can't take this opportunity to not talk about the whole women in coffee thing. Um, and I don't come from it for... I come from it for kind of a few different weird ways, I guess. And, and I've heard lots of other people's opinions. But my biggest problem with the whole women in coffee question, you know, where we have this, you know, people highlight and get together and have breakfasts together. I so want to do the breakfasts. Yeah, uh, you're really just jealous of the breakfast, let's I, be honest. Like, I, you don't really care about the whole women in coffee issue. You just want scrambled eggs. Give me scrambled eggs and some coffee and I'll sit there and I promise not to listen to anything. But if I'm allowed in, I'll promise to stop talking about it. But but like, I, I don't see why there's a women in coffee thing. And I kind of made a joke while I was in Rimini and I know you saw my t-shirt of it that we, we were talking about before of gingers in coffee, you know. I did. Uh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 we're skipping breakfast to steal a march was the tagline on it as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like I don't understand why there's this differentiation where people get together and may, maybe you're actually planning world domination in those breakfasts and really it's just we're sleeping and you're <laughs> going to take over the world but what, what's your thoughts on the whole women in coffee thing and, and like should it be a thing should we re really be talking about it well, first, if your if your concern is breakfast, like Jen was saying, I think just the three of us should have breakfast, and there's <laughs> two women there, so fantastic. Breakfast. <laughs> you get scrambled eggs, coffee, whatever you want. I'm um, all in. Second, I'm actually I'm a lot in agreement with you, so to speak. Like we're kind of people in coffee, and I myself don't ever make that distinction for me like i don't ever need to say like oh i'm women in coffee i definitely understand that we are obviously targeted much more at like the consumer side of things where there is probably more equality to some extent and then that there's like a lot of the gender work that is possibly more aimed at empowering women in farms like directly more producers and things like that which are generally like it's not 
it's maybe not as equal at, at that level as it is so that's more what it's aimed for but i'm yeah. i don't know i'm kind of with you like i we're people in coffee and i i personally don't need to make the distinction so yeah i mean like honestly steve i, I feel like the women in coffee breakfast didn't come around until lots of men started going gosh why are there so few women in coffee and all the women in coffee went no 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 we're right over here like we we swear we're right here and i, I think that's kind of my whole frustration with it is like if if women want to get together and like i've gone to, to a few women in coffee breakfasts and like it's a nice place to like you know network and and share stories and things like that and i think to, to people who do feel like they face the roadblock of being female um at, at different levels in the coffee industry i think that's a really useful tool but i i'm really tired of men bringing it up like i would never bring it up myself i always have to talk about it whenever there's a man involved because usually they've asked me what it's like to be a woman in coffee and i'm like I, i'm not like instead why why can't we just talk about what i've done or or can we talk about like what you're doing or anything anything but bringing up the fact that i'm a woman in coffee it's really frustrating jen i'm kind of worried i'm kind of worried though that 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 whole women in coffee you said about it, it's a great opportunity to network and talk about roadblocks i'm really worried it creates a roadblock it actually creates a roadblock that it's like oh like as a guy i kind of hadn't thought of it as a real issue and then all of a sudden there's the women in coffee come out am i doing something wrong have, have i screwed up here so like so as soon as a woman tells me that i've kind of you know, they're going to do their own thing. I've screwed up. I've done something wrong, and I kind of worry it creates more roadblocks where I don't see, I don't see either of you two as uh, any different to, you know, as I see, you know, Colin or I see, you know, other people. Like it's just like you're my friends in coffee, and I don't understand why there's the distinction that it kind of splits off into something separate. I think, like everything else, it can be faced with as little or as much flexibility as you want to see it with like even as we were saying earlier with the naturals like you can see it as just like another program that is possibly helping in case in like farmer or things yeah. like that there is a difference or you can definitely take it as i'm the feminist extremist who like needs to assert that i'm a woman in coffee there's there's the two sides to it i guess and I, and to some level like I think we always kind of have to prove ourselves regardless of if you're a woman or a man. Obviously, mm -hmm. I'm sent to teach whether it's like in South America or in Africa and I show up and people are like, okay, what's this girl going to come teach us? And then you kind of have to prove yourself like that's that's just how it goes. But I don't think it's any difference if it's me than it, if it would be you, for example. I think also there's the, 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 I think that's no different with gender than it is like for instance um, I hang around in a lot of barista focused style things but I'm a roaster and I actually get treated quite differently sometimes as a roaster than I would as one of the cool baristas because I'm a boring yeah. man who makes coffee go brown um, and, and, and I, 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 maybe we should have a roast, roaster's breakfast that could be something <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I i kind of I, I do get a lot of it i mean jen's been trying to educate me haven't you jen yeah i mean i mean mostly just i, I don't know how much the education is actually sticking in seeing as you've brought it up yet again the the point being that like it's only a problem if we continue to, to call it out like you said i actually think we're on the same page i just <laughs> I, I think your your way of like now you're calling it out as like a, but there, then the, that makes it a problem. Well, maybe if you just stop talking about it altogether, it'll just kind of. Yeah. 
I mean, I really love that article you sent me from the tech industry, though, as part of my education. Yes. I mean, like, I think that's a really useful thing to kind of bring up and, and talk about because that made me realise a little bit why it's an issue sometimes. Because I can, I've heard, I've heard those conversations happen. So, like, I don't want to retell your story, but like, could could you? I'm yeah, just basically yeah. prodding you to tell talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, someone that I used to work sort of not work with, but worked around while I was at Facebook, um, Margaret Goldsort sort of is the head of designing and the ads program there, and. You know, she's been to quite a number of tech conferences and has been up on stage. And I mean, you have a room full of women, and it is supposed to be a panel, sort of like or, or, or people in tech, but it's supposed to be a panel on women in tech and sort of the innovations they've done. And the questions that are always asked are about how many children they've had, or like how they find balancing being a mother to you know the work that they do in tech. And and the one thing that's actually never spoken about is are their achievements. And I and I read that article and, and one of the reasons why I sent it to you because it just seemed to highlight to me the, the difficulty of like when we highlight the fact that there's a there's a problem with being a woman in coffee or like how do you how is it being a woman in coffee and like the number of conversations that I have personally had with people asking me that exact question that it really takes away from the work that you've actually done and your ability to sort of talk about that work that you've done and, and how frustrating that is and that's one of the reasons why I sent it to you but it, it is it, it's a valuable perspective I think it can be applied to coffee very easily like I know. I even mean, people aren't necessarily asking me about how my uterus impacts, you know, the world of coffee, but they are asking me how my gender impacts the work that I do. And I think it's, it's less of a helpful conversation. I'd much rather talk about the work that I do. To be fair, Jen, I really don't care about how you feel as a woman in coffee. I'm more interested in what you're having for breakfast. <laughs> That's what I was saying. I mean, I'm pretty sure you're, you're just a hungry person. Who just about breakfast. Steve breakfast. just wants some men in coffee breakfast. Just yeah. when it's even. That's all he wants. That's all I want. Then I promise <laughs> never to mention it ever again that I get eggs. <laughs> I think that's a perfect place to leave it. I think we've been talking for uh, uh, longer than we we kind of planned to, which is because I always knew we'd run over a little but bit. Lovely. It's been awesome. Rookie, thank you so, so much. Thank you for coming on and thank you for coming back on to record it again because we're not talking about the fact that you lost <laughs> no, the recording <laughs> and you've ruined my birthday. <laughs> and how... Oh, no, honestly, so when you said you'd lost a recording, the first thing I thought of, well, at least I get to talk to two of the most loveliest people and two of my best friends in coffee. So I thought, that what a better way to spend my birthday. So, no, I was very pleased. So don't lose the recording again, though, please. Don't, don't lose this not. one. <laughs> Happy birthday. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, Thank you, guys. Cheers, over and out. Thanks for listening to this podcast. It's proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli.